the absolute standard for right and wrong, we really don't have real morality. We just have lesser evils. We have codes of conduct for humans to live together as peacefully as possible. But God, in His mercy, revealed Himself to us. Through His people, Israel, through the Scriptures, eventually through His Son, Jesus, He revealed Himself to us. He revealed His will to us. He revealed what was right and wrong to us. Through what He has revealed, we know that all of humanity misses the mark with God because of sin. And the eternal consequence is eternal death, eternal torment because there is eternal separation from God's good presence. Well, today is Good Friday. And although it's called good because the, the term good uh, also used to mean holy, okay, in the old English, uh, it is still considered good in our common understanding of the word today, even though it's about a man who was tortured, uh, horribly executed on a torture device, it is still a good Friday. Because the eternal consequence of sin is not a guarantee for everybody. Now, the unrepentant criminal, unfortunately, he chose eternal separation from God when he chose to join the others in mocking Jesus and remaining unrepentant. But the other criminal made a different choice, and that was the choice of repentance. See, the second criminal who was crucified with Jesus, he responded differently. He says in verses 41 to 42, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, several things I want to note about this man. Firstly, note how he acknowledges that his punishment is deserved for what he has done. And so what this means is that this man is not any more righteous than the other criminal. Just think about that for a moment. He is not a better, he did not live a better life than the other criminal. He is not at, at the very core of his being a better man than the other criminal. He had probably hurt other people just as much as the other criminal. Before this scene at the cross, probably no one would have considered him to be a good person. But just like how the devil wins when people delude themselves into thinking they're good and they don't need God to redeem them, there is also breakthrough when we are honest with ourselves. And when we confess where we truly are before God, and we don't try to cover things up and make ourselves feel better about ourselves and delude ourselves, but we're honest with ourselves and we confess where we truly are before God, that we are sinners in need of His mercy. That is the catalyst for a breakthrough in our lives. Now, secondly, the words of this criminal to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, it tells us several things. Firstly, it gives us an indicator of his faith, you know, that even though he uh, did not 
have this long discourse about how he believes in Jesus and he says he, he doesn't actually say all those words. But the fact that he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, it tells us something about his faith. It tells us that he believed in a heavenly kingdom, or at least a kingdom that has yet to come in his lifetime. It tells us that he believed that Jesus was the ruler of that kingdom. He recognized Jesus as the king of that kingdom that is not yet here, right? Because he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It also tells us that he believes that because Jesus was king, he had the capacity, he had the authority to do something about that criminal's fate. That Jesus, as king of that kingdom, had the power to do something about his fate. And it also tells us that this criminal believed this was not the end for Jesus. This was not the end. We don't know where this criminal may have heard of all these things, all these little, little bits of faith that he professed here. Maybe he heard it from the crowd. Maybe he heard it from one of the disciples. Maybe he even heard it from Jesus at one point or another over the past three years. Maybe it was just at the cross itself when he heard these things. We don't know. What is clear is that this criminal had faith in Jesus, that Jesus was who he said he was. Third thing I'd like us to note is that when this criminal asked Jesus to remember him, it was a very simple declaration of faith in him. He didn't know that Jesus would rise again three days later. He had no clue about the resurrection. He didn't have the opportunity to be baptized in Jesus' name. He was hanging on the cross. He didn't understand how Jesus dying could have atoned for all his sins. He, did, he wouldn't have known about uh, the theological implications of Jesus' death. All this happened before Pentecost, so the Holy Spirit had not come upon the believers yet. And so there's no speaking in tongues, there's no gifts by the Spirit. Uh, the Lord's Supper wasn't celebrated among the believers on their own yet. And so all these many, many things that we tend to attach to our Christian faith, this criminal did not have access to all those things. And yet that simple faith in Jesus was enough for Jesus to assure him that today he would be with Jesus in paradise. As a pastor, I'm often faced with people who are near death. And it's usually very difficult. And also, they're very diverse. The, the People who are near death uh, come from all sorts of walks of life, uh, different backgrounds, different experiences, different ages, uh, different reasons that they are deteriorating. Uh, some are unconscious during my whole time there. Uh, others are conscious but they cannot communicate. Uh, some are intubated, okay, they, they can't swallow anything and so they, they can't even speak. Uh, some don't have any awareness of what's going on even though their eyes are open and they, you know, they, they look at me blankly. Now, throughout all this, their family members usually have all sorts of concerns. Primary concern, of course, is for their soul. Right? They, they, they called me there to pray for them, to share the gospel or, or whatever. They, they want their loved one to, to 
embrace Jesus. And so some of the concerns that they have are things like, do they need to fully understand the gospel? Do they need to pray the sinner's prayer out loud? Do they need to be baptized with water? Do they need to receive Holy Communion? The repentant criminal shows us that simple repentance and faith in Jesus is enough. Now, of course, we still need to make sure that we do what we can to help others understand the gospel, to properly articulate their acceptance, to have reliable witnesses, to uh, be very sure that they are agreeing and committing to this thing that they have chosen, this Lord that they have chosen. But the bottom line is that simple repentance and faith in Jesus is enough. If we are not able to ensure more than that, then we just need to let God worry about all the other details. Now, don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean that if we have our own, uh, we have the potential to read, we have the potential to understand, we have the potential to learn, we have the potential to be baptized, we have the potential to be in fellowship with the rest of the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that, oh, simple faith and you don't worry about all those things. God still commands us to do all those things if we can. Yeah. But I'm saying that the, the, the tipping point for salvation is simple repentance, simple faith in Jesus. And so this drives home the fact that salvation is purely an act of God's grace and mercy. Our sin disqualifies us from eternal life, and salvation is not something that we deserve. It's not a right that we can demand. It's not a reward that we can earn. It's not something that we can do to get it. And so I'd like to conclude with this thought exercise. Okay, just imagine. Imagine that the scene of the cross played out exactly as we know it. Jesus dies. His body is brought down. He's buried in a tomb. Three days later, he rises again. Okay. But imagine that God suddenly appeared to the repentant criminal just before he died. And God appears to him and he says to him, you know what? Before I bring you to paradise, I want to give you a second chance at life on this earth. And he miraculously transports the man out of his cross to another part of the world where nobody knows him. Miraculously heals all his wounds. He's a new man. Alive. But with faith in Jesus. How do you think this man would live the rest of his life? How seriously do you think he would take the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations? How closely do you think he would follow the command to love one another as Jesus had loved him? How different do you think his life would be compared to the life that he had before he had met Jesus? Friends, we don't need to imagine that for ourselves because we are in that situation right now. 
If we truly repent, we have faith in Jesus, we are given that second chance at life. Our choices today have eternal consequences for the rest of our lives. As we saw yesterday, we also have the potential to impact others for eternity through our relationships. And so, friends, we have that second chance to make the right choices that will impact us and others for eternity. And so today, I'd like you to know that how we respond to Jesus has eternal consequences. I'd like you to be assured that true repentance and faith in Jesus is all that is needed for salvation. And do make the most of this second chance at life that Jesus bought for you with his blood. Let us pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your love that goes beyond what we have or have not done. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to be brought back to you, even when our own sin has separated us from you. Thank you for providing Jesus as that divine bridge. We pray for all who do not know you yet, our loved ones especially, that they will come to join the family of God. Use us, Lord, in sharing the gospel with them, in our conversations, and also in how we live our lives. We pray this in the saving name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.